1: Mike like a vandal uh, welcome back Ray and to you camp hello hello in our last yes. episode mm-hmm. we uh, talked about Stalin's purges the great terror Yetov China yes. this episode and then we finished with uh, just at the end of the, <laughs> the purges he said to Yetsov the head of the NKVD what did you do with that for you idiot and killed him <laughs> Look at Look at the state you left us in. But you told <laughs> shut up. He oh, he yeah. he 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 preempted the Nuremberg trials. Yetzov said, I was just following orders. Stalin <laughs> right. said, not good enough. Not good enough excuse. Had you're him executed.
0: To, you're supposed to follow the spirit, not the letter of my orders, mm. dumbass yeah. and shot him anyway.
1: Look, look just want I yeah. hired you for this job because <laughs> I believed that you would stand up to me. Right. If right. I ever gave you a bad order, I didn't expect you to just go out there and do yeah. what I told you to. Like, I could get any monkey to right. go yeah, out there yeah. and pull just trigger,
0: pull, trigger, pull, pull trigger.
1: the trigger. I expected you to go, to, well, hold on a second. Let's yeah. just slow down a minute, Stalin.
0: <laughs> Whoa. We're up to 1.1 million. Should we Should we have a little meeting? No, no. And then he t- tapped his forehead. I thought there was synchronicity. Huh? I thought you could read not what I said, but what I intended. Clearly, you got it wrong. I would like to put a little bookend on Stalin's purges. I just think this is funny. After the purges, when he is truly the top man, he's up there alone. No one else can defy him or challenge him. His theories on literature, economics, and genetics became state policy. And that's how you know you are numero uno, whatever the Russian version of that is, uh, in Russia. Because just what he thought became official you know policy for everybody that's how you know you're the badass
1: so we finished off the last episode i said and then 1939 happened what happened in 1939 ray i believe well, you have yeah. some familiarity with this subject
0: a bit no i i know that you're going to talk about the uh, the very important very famous munich agreement i just wanted to set it up and give it some context so Please, as do. You, as you know Big fan of Hitler. Um, Hitler came to power in January 30th, 1933. By mid 1939, he had been all but flawless in his foreign policy. Domestic stuff didn't interest him so much; he left that to others. But this is what this man was able to do uh, between 33 and 39 without firing too many shots. Uh, let's see here. So. Uh, First of all, they burned down the Reichstag. Uh, Goering sets that up, so they burned down their their own government building. So that gives Hitler emergency power. So now he pretty much doesn't have to listen to the Reichstag. He can do whatever he wants. Three years later, the western part of Germany is called the Rhineland, and it was demilitarized um, because of the, let's see, the Locarno and the Versailles Treaty. So western Germany, the Rhineland is demilitarized. So... In uh, March of 1936, Hitler's going to send some German troops in there, and he makes it quite clear to his men, if the French do anything, if they start shooting, if they charge at you, get the fuck out of there. We are not ready for this. But if they don't, it will be a major coup, and the people will love me, and they will forget that I've taken away so many of their rights, and some of them are actually starving or they're in concentration camps. So they send in the troops, the French bitch about it, (coughs) but they don't do anything. And so the British don't do anything because the French French didn't do anything. So he's got this one major victory under his belt. Uh, let's see here. Uh, three Actually, later on that year, 1936, during the Olympics being held in Berlin, uh, Nazi Germany is hosting them. That's where Jesse Owens kicks so much ass. Uh, a supporter of General Franco comes up to Hitler and he says, look, we're about to get into this major war, uh, civil war in Spain. We would really appreciate your help. Will you please help us? And Hitler goes, <laughs> Love to, love to. What do you need? Here's a shopping list. So Hitler's going to help them. So he's able to remilitarize and threaten uh, France with sending troops in. He's able to openly help Franco and the people on his side in a in a civil war. And then um, two years later, in March of 1938, it's time for his biggest coup yet. That we all know is the Anschluss of uh, of Germany of uh, Austria, the uh, annexation. So. Um, Hitler invites over Schuschnigg, the the chancellor of Austria, and he's going to have a little chat with them. So what they end up doing is physically, emotionally terrorizing this guy. He almost has a stroke and dies. They have to give him an injection of something to make sure he doesn't die. And they're able to um, force him to put pro-Nazi ministers into his government. And they're the ones who demand a plebiscite to see if Austria should join this greater German empire. So, right before they have this plebiscite, um, Schuschnigg steps down and he encourages his people not to resist the Germans that are coming. So, so far, he's able to remilitarize the Rhineland. He has openly abetted um, aggression and now he has taken an entire country. But Hitler's not done yet. So, the next country he wants to go after, and again, this is all without really firing a majoring shot, major shot, he wants to go after Czechoslovakia. Well, on the western part of the Czechoslovakia is their defensive line, that the Germans know they can't get through, it's up along some mountains. He needs a pretext to be able to take that away from them. So in the extreme western part of Czechoslovakia are what, I think it's 1.2 million Germans, they're called the Sudetenland Germans. And um, they go there with their cameras and they make this fake propaganda with these women crying in front of the, in front of the cameras. They, the Czechs are over here and they're raping us and they're killing our men and they're stealing from us and they're hurting our children. And so they show these films all over the world, certainly all over Germany and Hitler goes, no one is ever going to hurt a German again, not while I'm here. So he demands that part of Czechoslovakia be given to him. And I don't know how much detail you want to go into. I'll just do the the short version for now. We can backtrack, but basically, um, Czechoslovakia says, no, if you come, if you come into our country, we will fight you. And we have Britain and France to back us up. That's when Chamberlain has to go, "Uh, hold on for a second, because if you defend yourself, if you get into a fight, we will not defend you. We will not help you. You will be on your own. And of course, Czechoslovakia knows they're not going to win. So there's going to be a meeting, the famous Munich Agreement, the Munich Accords, where Germany, Britain... France and Italy notice that Czech has not been invited to this meeting about them. Um, they're not invited. So basically, the Western tip of Czechoslovakia is given to Germany, supposedly to protect the Germans who are being abused by the Czechs. So that was all bullshit. But
1: it was just yeah. the tip.
0: The, the Western the western tip. It was just the tip. That's what you it said to me in the, Vegas. The, Don't in, worry. It's just the tip. Yeah, And you didn't. Anyway. That's, so, what, that's um, what Hitler said. Don't worry, it's just the tip. <laughs> I'm just going to take the tip. It's like I'm going to circumcise Czechoslovakia. <laughs> okay, that's all I'm going to do. Um, so, so basically they're able to, to take that and they take the area where the defensive line is at. And of course, um, just a couple of months later, I think it's March of 1939, Hitler pretty much takes the rest of Czechoslovakia. And that's when Britain and France says, well, okay, hold on, hold on, hold up. If you even fucking trip and fall into another country and take it over, it's going to be war. So now it was going. You know what? I've had a pretty good run. It's mid 1939. I've been able to uh, take uh, Czechoslovakia. I've taken uh, Austria. I've been able to remilitarize my western border without firing a shot. Not bad. Okay. So now war's coming. Where do I move next? Do I go to the west and take on France? Not really ready for that, especially if Britain helps. Do I go to the east and take Poland? Poland, I'm not too worried about. I can take him out in a couple weeks. But that means that puts me right next to Stalin with his massive country and his massive population and his ever growing industry. There's no way he's going to let me send 1.3 million men into Poland that much closer to his border. I clearly have to come up with something. I need someone to give me a break. I need an understanding with someone. I pretty much want to go after Poland, but I need some kind of understanding with someone to to safeguard one of my borders, who's it going to be? Am I going to talk to Britain? Am I going to talk to France? Am I going to talk to Stalin? What are my options? And at that very moment, Stalin is asking himself the very same question. Who am I going to ally with? And that's where we get to the, um, the non-aggression pact between Germany and Russia. I don't know if you want to go back and talk about the, um, the, um, about Czechoslovakia at all.
1: Oh, I think you covered it very well. Um, okay. A few things I just wanted to throw in, a few notes I made. You talked about yeah. the uh, Olympics in uh, Germany in 1936. Six, uh-huh. uh, Jesse Owens. Now, I had just read this the other day. Uh, there's this famous story about Jesse Owens being snubbed by Hitler because he was black.
0: Oh, um, yeah.
1: Apparently, that's not true. Apparently, well, Hitler yeah. snubbed everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jesse Owens himself said he wasn't snubbed by Hitler. He was snubbed by FDR. He said, if anyone snubbed me, it was FDR. Because right. when he went back to the U.S. as an Olympic, uh, American Olympic champion... Four gold medals, yep. He didn't get a thank you telegram from the White House, didn't get an invite, come along, handshake, Tappy. photograph, yeah. nothing.
0: Well, to, to give that a little bit of backstory, during one of the first events of track and field... Hitler um, congratulated everybody who won that day, and the, um, excuse me, the Germans who won that day, and the gentleman yes. who was in charge of the Olympics, the said, IOC. No, no, you, yeah. IOC, you have to thank everybody or you thank no one. So Hitler said, okay, I totally understand, I'm not going to thank anybody, but he did at one point say said something about Jesse Owens, do you really think I would shake the hand of a black man? What do you think of me? So there's this, there's this one small quote, but yeah, he, he wasn't going to shake anybody's hand because he would have to do it for everybody, and he was too busy lining up wars and rearming his country to do that.
1: That's correct. Um, <clears throat> I also just wanted to add that before we get... <clears throat> sorry, before we even get to the Munich Agreement, mm-hmm. uh, 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 which is kind of known as the, the, the famous appeasement uh, right. of... Britain and France with Germany saying, Sure, you can invade Czechoslovakia. <laughs> who fucking cares? Czechoslovakia, no, it's Czechoslovakia. Yeah, exactly. go in. Stalin had already been trying to conclude anti Hitler pacts with yeah. the other major European powers. This is something that doesn't get talked about a lot when you're reading abbreviated versions of this, the history of this period. Uh, Stalin gets a lot of shit for forming a non-aggression pact with Hitler. Right. But no one talks about the fact that he'd been trying to form anti-Hitler pacts, <laughs> with particularly with Britain and France, for yeah, yeah. quite some time, saying, hey, Hitler's coming. Hitler's uh, coming. And we need to now. bandy up. And they were like, fuck you, you commie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they, they, yeah, yeah, they talked just enough to keep it going, hope, hoping that, that if, if there was just a dialogue that Stalin wouldn't sign anything with Germany. And, and I love this part, and then I'll let you have it back. Stalin goes, no, this is bullshit. These are platitudes. And as you're going to find out in this in this series of podcasts, Stalin was the most practical, pragmatic man out of all these major players. He says, this is bullshit. You send me someone to talk now. So Britain goes, okay, we'll send you someone. He's not going to be a top guy. And we'll send him by boat and train. He'll be there Sometime this late spring, early summer. And, and Stalin's like, that's a fucking insult to me. You're not taking me seriously. So later on, when we get to Hitler, Hitler goes, look, if you let me send my top guy, I will fucking fly his ass. There. He'll be there in a matter of hours. And Stalin's like, okay, that's respect. That's dignity. I'm being taken seriously. I mean, the British just fucked it up from day one. So. Yeah, so you got the Kremlin, you've got the British and the French on one side, you've got the, the Germans on the other side, and Stalin's keeping them apart, talking to both of them at the same time, trying to get the best deal. He was getting the best deal at that time from Nazi Germany.
1: And, of course, his objective here is to keep the Soviet Union out of the war as long yeah. as possible, because they, as it, like, as it turns out, Britain and France, weren't ready. For, <laughs> for this war such. not no. ready hey no. anyway, we'll come back to that the other thing i wanted to uh, just add to what you said because i think it's worth uh, highlighting hitler's excuse for annexing the sudetenland czechoslovakia was that the the german population's human rights were being threatened
0: oh <gasps>
1: think about that the next time you hear a country use human rights as an excuse for launching an attack on a country or invading a country. It's one of the standard excuses that every Mm -hmm. dictator in history has used uh, for invading, conquering. Going back to our old friend, Big Julie. (laughs) Big Julie uh, was like, well, we have have to invade Gaul. There are Romans there and, you know, they're being threatened uh, by the Germanic tribes and we have to go in there and save the Romans and... It, this is this is the classic excuse, and it gets used today. And I'm not saying that it's not sometimes justified, but right. it is one of the classic excuses. Let won't you, won't somebody please think of the children uh, that gets <laughs> the used? Children
0: are a future. Sorry. Mm.
1: So there was that. So yeah. that brings us to. Well, uh, sorry. The other the, the I wanted to just highlight again. Yeah. Parking back to what I've said before. The main real reason Hitler wanted to invade Czechoslovakia was for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said in an earlier episode, Germany, small nation, doesn't have a lot of natural resources, very good at manufacturing shit, but yeah, to manufacture shit, you need natural resources. <laughs> exactly. They, they were being locked out of various trading blocks around the world, particularly by the Brits, uh, and also by the Americans uh, towards the, the latter part of the 30s. So they needed they, they needed access to raw materials and money and land. And so Czechoslovakia had a strong industrial base, big armaments, mm-hmm. factories, yep. lots of raw of materials. Yep. <clears throat> so Hitler thought, yep, I'll have that, because Germany needed to compete in a global market with... The uh, British trading bloc and the United States and the French, you know, right. he, he and, and increasingly the, the Soviets. For Germany to maintain as a, an economic power, it needed to have a strong functioning economy. They were coming out of the Treaty of Versailles, as we mentioned before, the treaty that was imposed upon them after World War I, which had crippled them economically. Oh, yeah. Intentionally and, crippled them. Intentionally, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, again, as I said in the last episode, there are reasons, logical, rational, at least from the viewpoint of the principal actors, reasons Mm -hmm. for doing these things that don't often get talked about. People, you know, Hitler just, oh, he was insane, he was a warmonger, (laughs) He he was a bad guy, yeah. It's not, again, I'll say this for the hundredth time, it's not about good guys versus bad guys or good countries versus bad countries. History... Geopolitics, human affairs aren't that black and white. They're not that binary. Mm. It's about intentions, motivations, uh, reasons. That's what we, mm. if you really want to understand what went on, what's going on, you need to think about what are the motivations, the ambitions, the intentions of the the players going on here. So, mm. so in nineteen thirty nine, August of nineteen thirty nine, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Mm-hmm. Was signed. This is the non aggression treaty between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany, named after the Soviet Foreign Minister Vyacheslav Molotov. Nice. And yes, that is where we get the Molotov cocktail from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the German Foreign Minister Joachim von
0: Ribbentrop, mm-hmm. who was a former champagne salesman, obviously qualifying him for high office. <laughs>
1: Well, you need to celebrate these deals when they get that's done, and who knows true. how to celebrate better
0: yeah. nobody, than champagne sales? Nobody. That's right. Yeah. It
1: divided the, the pact, divided their influence and territory within Eastern Europe, resulting in their joint invasion of Poland in September 1939. Now, keep in mind the reasons for this. Poland bordered both Germany and the USSR at the time, it was the buffer zone. Mm-hmm. between the two countries. These two countries didn't trust each other. (laughs) No. no. Then or now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So they had a buffer zone, uh, what we would call a security cordon, maybe, or cordon sanitaire. It was known in the sort of the French language of geopolitics at the time. It was a safety zone around both countries. So if you saw an army marching into Poland heading in your direction... Right. You, you, you had some time to react before they actually got to your front door and kicked it in. Mm-hmm. Now, there's history behind this, of course. It didn't start in 1939. In the 18th century, Poland had been occupied by Russia, Austria, and Prussia. Mm. Then, in 1807, a fellow by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte uh, created the Duchy of Warsaw and gave Poland kind of its independence of a sort, right. briefly. Right. Eh, they were really a satellite. Yeah, was satellite. yeah, they were satellite of France. Yeah. And he mostly did it because he was banging one of the uh,
0: nobility, Maria Velasca <laughs> of Poland. a good reason. I'm sorry, that's a good reason for state <laughs> policy. It is. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, look, you got a hot, hot woman. You Let me tap that. <laughs> you can have your independence. Don't you? Win-win. Win-win. That's right. She was the wife is <laughs> the wife of some noble d oh lord. Like, uh, yeah. Look, I tell you what. So right. <laughs> you want your independence? You let me tap that ass. <laughs> when Napoleon was defeated in eighteen fifteen, Russia Russia, Austria and Prussia occupied Poland again for the next one hundred years. Mm. Again right. for the same reason. Buffer zone. Right. Then after World War I, when Germany and the Austro-Hungarian empires had been defeated and Russia stepped out of the war after the revolution because they were fighting their own civil war, mm-hmm. Poland was given autonomy again. Yay! And the Supreme War Council, created by the British Prime Minister Lloyd George to coordinate the Allied military strategy during World War I, had this thing called the Commission of Polish Affairs they gave them the job of recommending Poland's eastern border aka the border okay. between Poland ah. and Russia and the name of the guy was the coolest name ever
0: Curzon <laughs>
1: isn't amazing. that,
0: is that a Klingon actually, I think that's a Klingon name
1: it wasn't actually his name it was his title but yes right, 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 right. Lord Curzon Lord, I oh, looked Probably it up Billy. I didn't write it down yeah alright uh, Uh, Billy Um, he was the British Foreign Secretary at the time and um, he suggested a particular border Mm -hmm. area between Poland and Russia it becomes known as the Kurtzon line and this will become very relevant over the course of the next four five six episodes right but he suggested this after World War One what about this line and (laughs) uh, yeah uh, but before anything could happen, the Polish-Soviet War broke out and ran Oops. from 19, February 1919 to March 1921. Started, by the way, and this is relevant, by the Polish. Mm-hmm. The Poles wanted to take advantage of the fact that the Russian army was weakened uh, by World War One and that they had the Civil War going on. They saw it oppor- Yeah, saw a great opportunity to get some more territory for themselves and some payback for being occupied for the last couple of hundred years. Right. <laughs> so they they uh, attacked Russia. They went into the Ukraine and areas like that. Guess who was one of the military uh, commanders or had responsible for the military in that part of the world? During um, that era, a guy by the name of...
0: Big S man. No, he <laughs> came out like Big Ass man. I'm sorry, Big S Man. big ass man <laughs> I don't know the ass man
1: that. yeah uh, <laughs> I never knew Stalin was an ass he was man an
0: ass. he was he was
1: I know you're an ass man but well, I didn't yeah. know Stalin was so there you uh, go you learned that you America. had some. you had something in common with Stalin that's so in 1920, uh Kurtzon sent a letter to the Soviets suggesting the Kurtzon line as a line of demarcation. The Soviets told him to go fuck himself, but actually suggested <laughs> a different line, more Hello? favorable, more favorable to the Poles.
0: Interesting.
1: In 1920, Stalin was stationed in the Ukraine, helped lead the counteroffensive against the Poles, and this, you know, will have ramifications later on in Stalin's dealing with the Poles from 1939 and onwards. But he was he was pretty confident at the time that they were going to win. Uh, On the 13th of July, 1920, Stalin wrote to Lenin: uh, "The Polish armies are completely falling apart." The Poles have lost communication lines and management. Polish orders, instead of reaching their recipient, are increasingly falling into our hands. In a word, the Poles are experiencing a breakdown from which they won't soon recover. I don't think that imperialism has ever been as weak as it is now at the moment of Poland's defeat. And we have never been as strong as we are now. So the more... This needs, like, fucking Independence Day theme music behind it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So
1: the more resolutely we behave ourselves, the better it will be for Russia and for international revolution! And so, of course, the Soviets were defeated by the Poles in 1921 (laughs) quite soundly. Thanks for that, Stalin.
0: Goethe yeah. Lenin was like, fuck, what? Fuck. You're not a military guy. Go back to your poems.
1: <laughs> yeah. Under the Treaty of Riga that was mm. signed uh, at the end of that battle, Poland ended up with a new border about 250 kilometres east mm. of the Kurzon line. Mm. That is deep into Soviet wow. territory. Thank so you. this was pretty humiliating uh, for Stalin and for the Soviets. And, uh, and, in fact, it was a major factor leading to the fallout between Stalin and Trotsky. Trotsky, at the time, was in charge of the Red Army. Uh, he was arguing against Stalin's uh, commands in this area and made fun of Stalin mercilessly mm. afterwards for being a dipshit. <sighs> and That's so dipshit, yeah. Stalin had his Kill Bill book like Uma Thurman <laughs> has. He wrote Trotsky's <laughs> name down in that bitch.
0: He was coming, man. He was Ooh. coming. Can I give a, a, an addendum to the Stalin purges? I read that Trotsky was killed in Mexico, 1940. Somebody was wielding an ice pick. Yeah, we're going to
1: do that in detail. Oh, when we sorry. Get to, sorry. Well, maybe. No, we're not. Sorry. No, you're right. We're probably not going to yeah. do that in detail. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Stalin did not forget a grudge. He sent men. It took years, but he, he got his man. He was able to scratch that name out of his Kill Bill book.
1: Yeah. And yeah. also... Uh, well, if we're going to talk about Trotsky, we could do we could do a lot of episodes on Trotsky. Trotsky is uh, well worth studying if you haven't read his analysis of fascism, in particular, is uh, quite fascinating. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he was necessarily the guy I'd want running my country, but he was a he was right. a brilliant thinker in his own right. Uh, enemy of Stalin, of where Stalin took the Soviet Union of the purges, of his uh, five-year plans and all of that kind of stuff. But um, he, more interestingly, perhaps, if you're a little bit salacious, uh, like... As uh, you know I am. <laughs> as I am. When he was uh, in exile in Moscow, sorry, in Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Moscow, what's the difference, really? No, nothing. Yeah. He um, had... Uh, a, a long standing uh, affair with uh, and we had a friendship with the famous artist uh, Diego Rivera mm-hmm. brilliant uh, Mexican um, artist and had an affair with his uh, wife Frida Carlo that's fucked up what
0: is up with these people I'm sorry please
1: continue <laughs> so
0: anyway there you go um,
1: okay. so Trotsky yes so Curse online, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> so I just wanted to... That's the background between some of the recent yeah. history between Russia and Poland, because it's, it, it's partly important as we, yes. we, when we see Stalin's treatment of Poland down the track. By the way, my maternal great-grandmother... Mm-hmm. And my great great grandmother moved to Australia from Poland in 1911. Oh, wow. So I'm like one fuckteenth Polish, Ooh, like you're you. one fuckteenth Native American. Right. Um, so I mean, I have an interest in the history yeah. of Poland and the backwards and forwards and all that kind of stuff.
0: They they got out just in time. Follow up question: Not sure relatives, but Trotsky did he have a goatee or no. a Van Dyke?
1: Oh fuck! No, I see. I'm out of my depth there, my friend. Do you know? Okay,
0: I think the what what Americans commonly call the goatee is right. a Van Dyke. Well, Dick Van Dyke whereas... doesn't
1: even have a beard, so no. I don't know. That doesn't make no. any sense to me whatsoever.
0: Okay. And anyway, we can move on. Still you know singing about, and
1: dancing at ninety, though.
0: He's kicking ass. Fuck It's no. amazing. He's he hero. is amazing. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where were
1: we? Um. So, Robin ribbentrop Robintov? Ribbentrop-Molotov pact. The Ribbentrop-Molotov pact. Uh, they're both Germany and the Russians are both really using it just to buy time. Germany mm. gets to uh, focus on uh, fighting uh, battles to the uh, west. West, east, west? yes, west. And uh, and Russia gets to keep out of the whole thing, keep Germany out, uh, off yeah. their off their ass while you know Stalin's still trying yeah. to you know militarize up weapon up right
0: right but Stalin's also able to go after Finland and the three um, countries Latvia Lithuania and Estonia so he so he takes his time uh, that that the treaty gives him to get what he has always wanted again and you're going to make this point further on in the episode I'm sure as, as much as Stalin gets called the bad guy and, and he was whatever but all he cares about is borders. Where's my border at? I want my border as far away from me as I possibly can, because I know I'm going to get invaded. History shows I'm going to get invaded, and I want to be able to have as much breathing space as I space as I possibly can. So while Hitler is dealing with um, with uh, Poland and then uh, Denmark and Norway, Stalin's going to go after Finland and the three Baltic countries. Everybody's just buying he's gonna time. Tr- be-
1: he's going to try. Yeah.
0: He's going to try, because Stalin has had Mein Kampf translated for him, and he knows what Hitler intends to do. He knows it's coming. He's trying to get ready, and to sign this treaty was nothing more than to buy time. Unfortunately, he thought he had five, maybe six years, but that was not the case.
1: Yeah. So uh, this pact, as it turns out, uh, didn't last long. Germany, of course, violated... The Non-Aggression Pact in June of 1941, less than two years after signing it, right, and launched a massive invasion of the mm-hmm. Soviet Union known as Operation Barbarossa. Now, that took Stalin by complete surprise. The invasion, that is. Now, as people may have heard, uh, Stalin had been warned uh, over and over again. That it was coming. And it's not like... this. sometimes get portrayed that he was completely ignorant and taken by surprise and he was an idiot. I don't think that's the case. As I said before, he was trying to warn Britain and France about Hitler's intentions years earlier, and they ignored him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he knew, I think, that this was coming. He didn't know... He thought he had more time, I think, is what it comes down to. At least that's what he told Churchill. Right. He told Churchill later on, uh, I think, at uh, one of the conferences that he thought he had another six months. But Churchill had, uh, back in April of 1941, Churchill had sent Stalin a warning himself in the form of a note delivered by their uh, ambassadors, mm-hmm. diplomatic contacts, a warning that he had uh intelligence that the nazis were going to attack the soviet union in may right. of 1941 it got delayed because mm-hmm. of uh, some other shit that they had to go and take care of but in Greece, um, right. yeah but uh uh stalin didn't take it seriously and then on the 17th of june 1941 <laughs> Stalin received in an another intelligence report claiming that an attack was imminent uh, because they had a source in German aviation. He wrote yeah. back, Stalin wrote to the state security commissar, you can send your source from German aviation headquarters back to his fucking mother. This is disinformation, not a source. Unfortunately, five days later on June 22nd, Germany right. crossed the border.
0: Yeah, and 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 just to add a little bit more to it, um Stalin he knew he was going to be attacked, but he thought he could delay it and he would get mad at uh, Molotov when tension seemed to be building with Germany, he would get mad at him and he'd be like, "No, do a better job." And so Stalin tried to his to his best um try to s- to control the dialogue between the two countries. But he had no idea that it didn't matter what he said or how he said it. or You know, because he kept the the supplies going up to Germany the very day of the assault, June 22nd, 1941. He thought that his people were screwing up and being too aggressive and being too hard-nosed with the Germans. So he took over a lot of the negotiations. But, of course, that was completely irrelevant because it was planned out by Hitler all along. So he literally wanted to believe he had more time. And I think to a certain degree, he willed himself to believe, which is why he was totally caught off guard. Mm.
1: By the way, just getting back to the Molotov cocktail, because we didn't finish that earlier. Yes, please. For people who are wondering about that, it is not the drink that Molotov uh, would drink (laughs) at night. It actually comes from the war against Finland that you mentioned briefly earlier. Right. The Finns developed a bomb. A Molotov cocktail is basically a breakable glass bottle with a flammable substance in it, yeah, petrol. Limoncello. Or, or like. limoncello. <laughs> it's too your, your limoncello is flammable, but that's not
0: the story. <laughs> it is.
1: Yeah. Yes. Or a napalm-like mixture in it with some motor oil. Usually got like a, a cloth, a wick in the top. You set, you've seen Underwear. this in movies over and over right. again. You light it, you throw it at a tank or at some troops, it smashes, it blows up. This is uh, the Finns developed this uh, to fight the Russians or the Soviets uh, during the Winter War, right. um, which was it when worked. Captain America and Bucky were going at it. No, that was Winter <laughs> Soldier; it's another thing. So, um, August 1939, and they 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 named it after Molotov as uh, sort of a insulting oh, yeah. reference. Yeah, hey Molotov, drink <laughs> this bitch kind of thing. So That's where Molotov cocktail comes from. But anyway, um, back to uh, the invasion. So look, um, we're not going to go into details. Listen to Ray's show, obviously, if you want details of opera. Have you done Barbarossa yet?
0: Yeah, start listening on episode 132, and um, I'm up to the gates of Moscow.
1: Lovely. So it was massive. It was a disaster for the Russians. But even when the Germans crossed the border and, and Stalin got news of it, he didn't believe it. He didn't believe it was an attack. He, he thought it was a rogue German general who right. either made a mistake, lost GPS stopped working on his iPhone, and he went left <laughs> when he should have far. gone right. I went he was, too far. He was using Apple Maps and fucking Apple Maps of <laughs> buggy as all shit. Or he thought they were trying to provoke the Soviets ah. into attacking him in order to give them the pretext to start a war. He so he was like, bad. look, whatever you do, don't fucking shoot. Don't I'm fire I'm on Trump the Germans, Trump. man. Um it took him a while to really get his head around it. Now here's the funny thing, like we mentioned in the last episode during the talk about the purges, Stalin was paranoid as a motherfucker mm-hmm. about <laughs> everyone except Hitler.
0: Yeah. Explain that. Oh my god.
1: If there's anyone <laughs> you want to be paranoid about, it's Art old fucking Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's number one on the list. If there's anyone <laughs> you don't want to, t- his words you don't want to take don't seriously. Don't turn your
0: back on him, Adolf Hitler. Do not turn your back on him. Oh but, my god!
1: You know, say what you like about Hitler. <laughs> At least he killed, killed Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> thank him for that. He's a hero. We should build statues to him to well, thank him for killing maybe, Hitler.
0: Maybe just his hand. That held the gun. How about just that? Anyway.
1: According to um, Zhukov, who was the chief of the general staff and the deputy minister of defense of the USSR, when Molotov, Stalin's minister of foreign affairs... Returned from meeting with the German ambassador after the news that the troops across Stalin sent Molotov go talk to the ambassador and find out what I'm sure this <laughs> what is the fuck's I'm going sure this is all a mistake it's all get mistake. cleared up it's all gonna be fine nobody panic oh, St- Molotov came back and went yeah they've they've declared yeah. war um, apparently and I don't it, remember Molotov just was in shock himself when he was meeting with the ambassador he was like he said something like. Why did you bother signing a non-aggression pact?
0: The ink is not drawn. Yeah, and, and and if it makes you feel any better, Schulenberg, the German ambassador, they didn't tell him shit until that morning. So he's sitting there giving this to, um, to, to Molotov, and Molotov is just reaming him verbally and making him feel bad and just giving him very cutting sentences, and Schulenberg is just sitting there taking it going, yeah, I got nothing. I was just told to tell you we're at war. Here's a piece of paper. So sorry. And Molotov just pretty much ripped him to shreds and then had to go tell his boss. And he's probably be, he's probably thinking, I'm going to fucking die. I'm going well, to be shot for breakfast.
1: It would have been funny if the telegram arrived and Schillenberg was halfway through his conversation with Ribbentrop. <laughs> no, listen. It's not us. We didn't do it. We did not invade. It's not... I don't know where you're getting your information. Hold on. Excuse me a second. Let me read oh, yeah. this. Yeah, that was, yes, us. Yeah, that was yeah, us. That was us. That was us. We my did bad. that, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my bad.
0: We... I'm, kept, I'm like a mushroom here. I'm kept in the dark and fed shit, man. I don't know what's going on. I can't look you in the eye right now. I'm going to stare at your shoes and let me just read this out to you. It, it shan't take long.
1: Anyway, um, getting back to Zukov's memoirs, he says that when Mol- Molotov c- uh, confirmed to Stalin that Germany declared war, Stalin just dropped into his chair and sat silently for a long time. A long and painful silence ensued. <sighs> Zuko I'd like to reenact that memoirs. if I could,
0: just kind of a... Everyone stand up. Like Everyone stand up, even those of you driving, and just one, <laughs> two, three.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, according then. to all of the memoirs by the uh, inner circ- Stalin's inner circle at the time, this pretty much broke him for a yeah. long while. Absolutely crushed his... Uh, Confidence, his self esteem, his concern for how other people would see him—all of his plans had failed.
0: Well, think, think of it this way: I mean, Hitler is invading your country. He's like fucking nine and oh. You, know, everybody assumes he's gonna it's going to be over within weeks. Why wouldn't you assume the same thing? Poland, France, Belgium, Luxembourg, Denmark, Norway, Greece, all the Balkans. I mean, this. Oh, I take it back. He's probably eleven and oh. And ha- you just you just know at the very core of your being that it is over for you. Everything you fought for, all the years of the times that he's been in prison, all the people that he's killed, the number of times he's almost died, it is all over with now because Germany is coming and they have not lost yet. They're not going to lose to you. I mean, ha- how do you not get just totally despondent knowing that your world is going to come crumbling down around you in about six weeks?
1: And the great irony of this is, and I only learned this the other day when I had an argument with a 90-year-old uh, American expat friend of mine.
0: <laughs> right.
1: How, you know, un- under the Treaty of Versailles, Germany wasn't supposed to be able to rebuild its military.
0: Right. Right.
1: Uh, and yet, even by the time Hitler became chancellor in 33, they had significantly. Oh yeah, but secretly, yeah, rebuilt their military and who and where helped do them they, do, where that? do they
0: Where do they test fire their guns at their Krupp cannon? Fucking Russia! Russia yeah. let them come in there and do and do maneuvers and test fire their guns and 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 it, yeah, if it wasn't for that. Who knows? But it wasn't until 1935 or 36 that they were allowed to openly rearm or Hitler just said, fuck it, we're going to do this yeah. out in the open. But yeah, Russia allowed them to keep their development of arms going. Thank you very much.
1: Hitler's actual quote at the time was like, come at me, bro. That's
0: right.
1: I think. You don't like it? Come at me, bro.
0: Fucking love you, yeah. man.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Stalin was so bummed out. By uh, this whole uh, affair, that he didn't even give the speech uh, to the Soviet people <laughs> announcing they what? were at war. He sent Molotov to do oh, it.
0: Oh, yeah. I thought maybe use that voice thing on the Mac computer. He typed it in there and then <laughs> read it out. I don't know. But yeah, he had Molotov read it out to the people. He was just, again,
1: like, as I said, crushed. Absolutely crushed. Yeah destroyed by this one of the other politburo members later recalled early on the morning of the 22nd of june i caught sight of stalin in the corridor he had arrived at work after a brief sleep he looked tired worn out and sad his pockmarked marked mm. face was sunken you could see he was depressed
0: now again yeah i was just going to add real quick so a couple of days later after that Stalin's literally still in his office. He hasn't moved for like 24 hours. And then Molotov, Voroshilov, Zhukov, and a couple others walk in. And because Stalin is who he is, he immediately assumes that they are there to arrest him because he has basically lost their country to the Germans. So they're all like, he's like, what do you want? What do you want? They're like, we've come back. We want you. We've come here to ask you to come back to work. And Stalin plays his normal mind game. He's like, "Oh, but there's got to be someone better than me. I have lost everything. I have been tricked. I have been bamboozled by Hitler. He's going to be coming. You know, his troops will be here very soon. There surely has got to be someone better than me." And they're like, "No, no, there is no one better to you. You are the most worthy. We need you." And he goes, "Can I really do it? Can I lead my people to victory?" And they're like, "Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's you. Only you can do it." And Stalin is like, "Stalin's like, okay." I will do it if you think I can do it. So when they come in, he immediately thinks it's all about him, that he's going to be arrested. And then he makes them beg him to come back. And then he comes in and he, and as tough as he was before, he becomes 10 times as ruthless while conducting this war. And it it just, it's just like a little window into the personality that is Stalin. Just to let you know, very, very quickly, he adopts a policy. He goes to bed at 5 a.m. He gets up at 10 a.m., Makes everyone else do the same who's in the office with him, and they fucking conduct this day-to-day war through all the shit, all the losses, all the suffering, everything. Until I turn it around, he literally, you know, works at his desk nonstop. And by the time the war's over, he is so fucking aged and lost so much weight, he's like a skeleton in a tunic. But anyway, more on that later.
1: But the good news is, it went fabulously.
0: Yes. <laughs> Tiny, tiny setback. At, at for, front, the for the Germans.
1: I, I didn't, I hadn't finished my sentence. <laughs> I hadn't finished my sentence there. <clears throat> it was a bloodbath from day one.
0: Was it like, like one well, yeah.
1: point, a front with 1.3 million men or something like that the Germans crossed over the border they, with? Actually, they sent in 3.3 million men. 3.3, well, it must have been 1.3... Casualties. <laughs> 1.3 million uh something long i don't know it was huge anyway oh, yeah, it was, yeah 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 it was it was this massive front with massive men and the soviets had their uh air force bases uh, right on the border right. in case you know <laughs> right. in, t- in case we get attacked let's have our air force close to the border <laughs> And they were all just sitting in the hangar, totally wiped out. Pretty much the entire Soviet Air Force destroyed in days. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: And Stalin's attempts to organise the defence were a complete shambles. As we said before, all of Yetzov's fault, you know, took the (laughs) orders too seriously and uh, killed most of the military leadership. Um, Yeah. So we're not going to go into detail again. Listen to Ray's show, World War II show for the details. But after a couple of years of extremely heavy human and territorial... Oh, one thing I do want to point out here. One piece of disinformation that you may hear around the internet uh, and in the general uh, discussion about this is the idea that Stalin... The reason the USSR's losses were so high was that Stalin just sent wave and wave after wave of human cannon fodder. Um, at the Germans. That is not true. I'm going to definitely state that right here. There is no evidence that Stalin just willy-nilly sent people to get mowed down by the Germans. He sent people that weren't properly trained or or had the right resources, but that's all they had at the time. He did release a bunch of prisoners from the Mm -hmm. gulags and sent them out there there's There's were, there were there yeah. were peasants, farmers, civilians, he, he, you know they threw everything that they had, but this idea that Stalin just you know brutally wanted to have millions of his own citizens no. killed and got the Germans yeah. to do it yeah. for him, which is how it's often yeah. portrayed,
0: is just absolutely incorrect it's not yeah. true. they uh, got killed, but it was not his intent. he was hoping they would win.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or or at least slow the Germans down.
0: Uh,
1: So, you know, they could, you know, prepare their proper defenses. So you hear this, and, you you know, I've had people say this to me, well, well, the only reason the Soviets lost 27 million people in World War II is because Stalin was just brutal at throwing people out there. He didn't have any fucking choice to throw people out there. He threw what he had, and they were underprepared and undertrained. Uh, but what was his alternative? I mean, it was just to stand back and say to Hitler, all right, here's Moscow, come and get it. (laughs) Uh, So look, and if you don't believe me, look it up, read a book. uh, The the consensus view of even, you know, the historian, I'm not talking about Stalinist apologists, not that there are many of those left anymore, but even the the, 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 uh, historians that are, Brutally savage towards Stalin. Agree that there's no evidence to support it. that. Was actually propaganda started by the Nazis mm-hmm. and perpetuated during the Cold War by the US and the UK. There's no evidence uh, to support right. that at all. Um, so, but after um, massive losses over a couple of years, the Soviets finally got their shit together. Managed to halt the Nazis at the battles of Moscow and Stalingrad, mm-hmm. uh, which in and of themselves were devastating in the Siege of Leningrad. Right. Um, as yeah. we have said before earlier in the series, the Eastern Front was the largest and bloodiest theatre of World War Two, and is generally accepted as being the deadliest conflict in human history. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had a few people, in fact, one of our listeners, uh, I think it was Brendan Freestone, might have been somebody else, emailed me a few weeks ago and said he was having a beer with some mates talking about uh, what he'd been hearing on this show uh, and about the Soviet contribution to defeating the Nazis and said that his friends had said, oh, that's bullshit, the Soviets. uh, It was all the US and the UK. The Soviets, you know, played a minor role, blah, 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 blah. I want to point out that... 80% 80% of the military deaths suffered mm-hmm. by the German armed forces happened on the Eastern Front. Yep. 80% of the German army who died in World War Two died on the Eastern Front.
0: Yeah. It's because they kicked ass everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, they About, did. Yeah the, yeah, the large majority was over there. And hell, they lost a lot of men when they were winning, much less when the, when it got turned around. But they lost 65,000 men just getting to Leningrad and getting close to, uh, to, to Moscow. So they were losing even as they were winning, and then it just became unbearably gross as things were turned against them.
1: Now, uh, if, again, if you don't believe me how that the USSR was critical to stopping the Nazis, here's a quote from Mr. Churchill. He wrote in his memoirs of World, of world War II, uh, which I've been rereading uh, recently, his World War Two mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously I'm not the biggest Churchill fan in the world, but I got to say, mm-hmm. man, could write a fucking he book. He can write like a motherfucker.
0: <laughs> yeah. His word, he's a wordsmith. Yeah.
1: And it's just, it's snappy.
0: It flows. It's, yeah. yeah. Colorful, it's the, descriptive. Yeah. yeah. Humor, detail. Yeah. The dry uh, just, wit. It's I enjoy the dry wit. Yeah.
1: Cu- Yeah, it's got everything, man. He could fucking write. I'll give him that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he wrote in his World War II uh, memoirs, Without in the slightest degree challenging the conclusion which history will affirm that the Russian resistance broke the power of the German armies and inflicted mortal injury upon the life energies of the German nation it is right to make it clear that for more than a year after Russia was involved in the war, she presented herself to our minds as a burden and not as a help. But the first part is the key part here. Even Churchill said that Russia broke the power of the German armies and inflicted mortal injury upon the life energies of the German nation. So don't let anyone tell you that that Stalin (laughs) wasn't the key factor, the Russians. Or that it was
0: an American victory. Yeah, Yeah, yeah just not true.
1: When you hear that America stopped the Nazis, and you get this a lot, uh, I hear it, you know, Americans talking about this. Well, we stopped the Nazis. We can stop Where would the world be if, no, well it says, where would the world be if we hadn't stopped the Nazis? (laughs) And don't get me wrong, US uh, 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 financial support, military support of both Soviet Union and the UK and France uh, and their their military involvement, they lost 400,000 men and all that kind of stuff. Important. Don't get yes. me wrong. Important, probably couldn't have been won without the US and US's involvement. Not saying that at all, but am saying the, that Stalin and the Soviets by far played the biggest role yeah. and took the brunt. Of the pain. Uh, The Soviets, as we've said before, lost an estimated 27 million people fighting the Nazis out of a total population of 168 million, 16% of their population. Damn. Uh, 1,710 cities and towns were destroyed, 70,000 villages were destroyed. (sighs) The siege of Leningrad alone resulted in the deaths of up to one and a half million soldiers and civilians. Yeah. There was children involved in that. Yep. Um, in January and February 1942, there were 100,000 people a month dying in Leningrad and mostly from starvation. The Germans mm-hmm. had had pulled a, pulled a Caesar, circumvallation, right. yep. laying siege. People couldn't get food, couldn't get in, couldn't get out. Um, there were even reports of cannibalism. I found a yeah. nursery rhyme that somebody reported. Mm. Doesn't really it rhyme very well in English, but I'll read it anyway. Right. This is a, he, one guy heard his kids singing this in Leningrad. He survived to report. A dystrophic walked along with a dull look. In a basket, he carried a corpse's ass. I'm having human flesh for lunch. This piece will do. Ugh, hungry sorrow, and for supper, clearly. I'll need a little baby. I'll take the neighbors, steal him out of his cradle. Damn. You think our our nursery rhymes are grim.
0: (laughs) So that's a nursery rhyme. I wonder what melody it was sung to. Or did they make it their own? I don't know. I'm probably asking the wrong question.
1: In comparison to the one and a half, uh, uh, sorry, 27 million Russians, uh, Soviets, sorry, Soviets, not Russians, Soviets. Right. Mm -hmm. That were lost. Um, The US lost about four hundred thousand out of a population of one hundred and thirty-one million. The UK lost about four hundred and fifty thousand out of forty-seven million. Um, On so on the Soviet entry into the war, Churchill wrote in his memoirs: "War is mainly a catalogue of blunders, but it may be doubted whether any mistake in history." has equaled that of which Stalin and the communist chiefs were guilty when they cast away all possibilities in the Balkans and supinely waited, or were incapable of realising, the fearful onslaught which impended upon Russia. We had hitherto rated them as selfish calculators. In this period they were proved simpletons as well. The force, the mass, the bravery and endurance of Mother Russia had still to be thrown into the scales. But so far as strategy, policy, foresight, competence are arbiters, Stalin and his commissars showed themselves at this moment the most completely outwitted bunglers of the Second World War.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was true. I mean, they had so many forward positions, the Germans were able to run behind them capture them, surround them, and then kill them all. I mean, they did that over and over again. And we're not talking 1,000 men or 2,000 men. We're talking 100,000 men. And they did this over and over again. The Soviets cocked it up on a massive scale. But because of the size of their country and their population, they were able to endure and eventually win. But they suffered massively. And like you said, it was their own fault.
1: Here's my take on this, Mm -hmm. on Churchill's statement. Hello, pot. This is the kettle calling. <laughs> You're black. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Stalin was caught unprepared? Let me see if I remember this. Of the two capital cities of the mm. USSR and uh, the UK, Moscow yeah. and London, which one was actually bombed for a good solid year by the Nazis?
0: Not only did, was London... Um... Resculptured through German bombs, but uh, they're the ones who actually had to evacuate at Dunkirk just to save any part of their army. So they did their fair share of fucking up. And hit, there's a quote by Churchill about, you know, war is nothing more than a series of mistakes or something. I, I don't know. Actually, you said that. I apologize. A catalog of blunders. So yeah, and so in, Britain certainly made their fair share of mistakes, and they used a lot of Indian soldiers. Fighting their battles for them and stuff like that. But now that he's had his turn, he's certainly gonna make fun of the um he's certainly gonna make fun of the Russians for going through what they had already done. But yeah, everybody fucks up. The Americans do it in North Africa. It happens to everybody. But, but this is just such on a massive scale.
1: But there's this whole thing of not being prepared, like, excuse me, Churchill, but go fuck yourself. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to get to this in the future episodes. But when they form the alliance with the Soviets, the first thing Stalin says is, "Hey, I need you to open a second oh, yeah, front." Yeah,
0: yeah. He's like, and, uh, and
1: Churchill's uh, response is, "Sorry, can't. Why not? Yeah. We're not ready. We're not ready. We don't have the men." Well, don't fucking say <laughs> I got caught unprepared when you can't even front up a fucking army to open a second front, like you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like, oh, it's, go it's fuck yourself, worse. you hypocrite! It's, it's gonna, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. Yeah. So, there, but yeah. this is this is part of what pisses
1: me off about Churchill, and this shit gets repeated. Oh, Stalin didn't see it coming; he was a fool. They're incompetent. Yeah, hello, fucking nobody saw it coming, and <laughs> that's they right, should that's have. The point.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Anyone who'd read Mein Kampf, which he published in like 1924 or twenty-six right. or something like that, should have yeah. known. Yeah. They had 15 years to know it was coming. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Churchill also wrote that Germany should, at this stage, before clearing the Balkan scene, open another major war with Russia seemed to me too good to be true. Yeah. So, from Churchill's perspective, having Hitler's turn his focus from bombing Britain to attacking Russia was wonderful. And yeah. uh, you know that's 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 kind of how it plays out. He then lets take lets the Soviets take the heat for the next couple of years, right. while
0: they uh, regroup and uh, rebuild. Yeah. So yeah, Germany finally has what it did not want—a two-front war. We'll see what happens.
1: And that is the end of episode fourteen. Except Woo. we will do some heroes and reviews and stuff. Yeah, be, we got to do something. Got to do something. Got. To. Uh, in episode fifteen, 70. we will get into the grand the beginnings of the grand alliance between the big three. Um, but first, we've got a couple of heroes. I want to thank these are the people that have joined the force of subscribers since our last recording session, a month or so mm-hmm. ago. Task one, strange name. I hear he changed that by D Congratulations, Mister One. There you in- go. I'm going to try and do these in a single breath. Are you ready? <clears throat> yes. Task 1, Ian Henderson, Alan Watkins, Stuart Holdaway, Keller, Winklemeyer, Tom Monk, Jeff Fleek, Adam Wickoff, Jim Martinez, Don Standing, Tim Roberts, Corey White, Andrew Gates, Thomas Quaid, Peter Barr, Seth Haddenfelt, Craig Burkett, Josh Green, Roy Stevens, Liz Anderson, Ethan Manning, Benjamin Johnson, Matthew Ward, Pete Barron. <gasps> Evgeny Tabachman, Toby Reed, Mark Lapolla, Ryan Murphy, Adrian Whipf, Jeff Dean, Jessica Dwyer, Maurizio Arbazza, Rachel Hall, Stephanie Terren, uh, Alex Bullock, uh, Stefanie Terren maybe, Alex Bullock, Michael Svella, Nikolaj <laughs> Nipovsky, Anton Harms, Wayne Dees, Daniel Lasasso, Bob De Rienzo, Vincent Kotzdoffer, Alice Suderman, Alon Tatsas, Vince Schmetzer, Bill Foreman, Rob Irwin, Timo Chui. I think it's an I and not an L. Chui. Stephen Cross, Jeff Laverna, Simon Hubbard, Dakota Tidd, David Shaffee, Herbert Sparks, Jordan Cherovic, Theon Seng, Oon, William Cassidy, Sean Provenza, Brett Jones, Mikael Granhaug, Alex Cooper, Maxim Vaskov, Andrea Harkis, (gasps) Alan Cross, Anthony Rennie, Phil Bradley, Terry Torsten, Seb, Richard Olson, Nogbad, Oliver Johnson, Joe McKeeman, Ian Kath, Ian Majewski, Majewski, Adam Deering... (gasps) Yep. <gasps> Holt Rose, Gary Grappone, Miller Wright, Marcus Robinson, Robert Webb, Rebecca Tate. Oh, my God. That was not one breath. They, they are a new DEFCON 1. Yes.
0: Heroes. Thank wow. you. Thank wow. you. Love you all. Mwah. DEFCON
1: 2. Oh, James Hingley, uh, Austin Matthew, Gary Wilson, Guy Munnings, Rod Rosewell, and Patrick Turner. Thank and you. DEFCON 3. Adam Sennett, Rafid Haider, and Christopher Duran. Those people get to get on the phone and, you know, have sexy, sexy yes. times with us if yes. they so choose. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Obviously, um, you know, we, we know that there's not a lot of yeah. podcasts that ask you to contribute money in order to listen. We do, and... Uh, you know, we, we, you. we genuinely appreciate your support mm-hmm. in this endeavor, and we hope it's uh, paying off and worthwhile. going to read a review. I've got a few great reviews. I'm going to read two because I didn't do one of the last episode, and both of these All people right. win a prize. Um, uh, this is written by Pioneer from Australia. Okay. Uh, Since listening to the Cold War podcast, I've had to put my rose-colored spectacles into the recycling bid. If the opening yeah. and closing audio... Don't send shivers down your spine. Check to see if you have a pulse. The content is even better and you will literally, sorry, Ray, in brackets, learn things that you didn't know before. I'm a Cold War survivor, being a child when it was all kicking off. And this podcast is helping me to make sense of events in my childhood. But beyond that, to gain an understanding of why and how it happened and beyond that, to really understand how the world works. I am, what Cameron, I am what Cameron would describe as a fundamentalist right-wing conservative born-again Christian and possibly the last one standing and still listening, refusing to be offended by the sometimes what could be described as gratuitous profane language. Fuck that. <laughs> Which at times runs the risk of losing its currency. <laughs> that aside, I have been with Cameron Ray since episode one of Julius Caesar. Oh, thank you and can genuinely report that dick jokes aside, my understanding of history and therefore the world that we live in has been expanded exponentially. Thank you to both you gentlemen who invest hours of research so that the rest of us can benefit. Never more so with the Cold War podcast. For me, the increased level of seriousness, but balanced, but with a bit of irreverent humor and musical interludes, is taking the subject to another level. Cameron's incisive, balanced scrutiny of both sides of the information is informative and allows the listener to come to his or her own conclusion about the world scenario and the human condition that affects us all. To steal the famous Jack Nicholson line, It makes me want to be a better man. (laughs) You make me want to be a better man. You can't handle the truth! Before listening to this podcast... Here's Johnny! I <laughs> know oh, you've started something. Before <laughs> listening to this podcast, I was probably one of the masses... Uh, Do you ever dance with the devil in the pale <laughs> moonlight? late? I always ask that of all my victims. <laughs> I was probably one of the masses that was swept along with the populist propaganda that led the world into the Iraq War. But my eyes have now been opened to the real reasons why two tribes go to war, one is all you can... Score, which really hasn't changed since Big Julie's time, and I can apply this knowledge to my response to what is happening today in world events, e.g., the current Australian federal election, Brexit, etc., etc. I thoroughly enjoy, uh, sorry, I thoroughly recommend this podcast, and it seems to me that both Ray and Cam have really hit their stride on this subject, and that everything beforehand was preparation for what Winston would have described as their finest hour. <laughs> Long may it continue from a grateful listener in Sydney. P.S. If you guys have plans to come to Sydney, I will shout you a coffee and a cigar. Not sure if you can stretch limoncello in Sydney, Ray, but we'll do our best. Best wishes, Ian.
0: Ian, thank you. Well, as a matter of fact, Ian, Ian, um, we will be coming your way.
1: We will definitely be in Sydney about 12 months from today, and Mm -hmm. I will actually be there at the end of September. I am speaking at the uh, podcasting conference that the ABC uh, is putting on, ABC Radio oh, cool. are putting on in Sydney, speaking about monetization of podcasts. Uh, so, Ian, if you uh, want to shout me to a drink and a cigar uh, in uh, late September, early October, let me know. Anyway, shoot us an email with your address and we'll send you a thank you gift for that review. Mm-hmm. Um, second one, this is Tabakman76 from the United States. Love these guys, especially Cam. That's all he had to say. He gets a prize. No, I go on. (laughs) I was born in Moscow in 1976 and immigrated to the US in 79 and never heard the entire backstory of the Cold War. All the stories from my relatives are pretty scary. Makes me thank God I live in the good old US of A. This podcast is very informative and these guys are also extremely funny I must listen for anyone who wants to hear the truth from all sides and not just our side. Can't wait to see what's next. I also listen to every episode of the Life of Caesar podcast, and yet you managed to spell Caesar wrong, to Bachman. No. So, like, if you fucking learnt nothing... No, I, yeah, do, I do that, you too. You had to spell I, Caesar.
0: I, I, I'm with him. The A and the E, it's confusing. It's even in the... Uh,
1: the art by Ben Templesmith of Caesar's a vampire I have on my wall right in front of me. He spelt it wrong, and I'm like, oh,
0: uh, see, uh, yeah, no, Keep it's, up
1: it's, the great work, and please, Ray, you have to step it up a notch. Cam is making you look like a sidekick. Mm, well, there's there's a good reason for that. Yeah, uh, it's because Ray it's is my, my
0: sidekick. Yeah, it's in my contract. It's in my
1: so I kind of, Here's Robin to my Batman, um, mm-hmm. and you know we actually dressed up in Vegas right. in right. Don't I getting turned on during on our public. sexy play? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's the reviews for this week. Again, uh, Tobacco Man seventy uh, six. Send us an email with your address. We'll send you a thank you gift. Mm-hmm. That's it. We're out. Play the theme song. Oh, I missed something. <laughs> Hold on. Shit. <laughs> Shit. Here's Char- Churchill's warning to Stalin. At four o'clock this morning. Hitler attacked and invaded Russia. This was no surprise to me. In fact, I gave clear and precise warnings to Stalin of what was coming. I gave him warnings, and I have given warnings to others before. Hitler is a monster of wickedness, insatiable in his lust for blood and plunder.
0: So now this bloodthirsty gutter snipe
1: must launch his mechanized armies upon new fields of slaughter.
0: An iron curtain has descended across the continent. They sure. were- I'm... I want to poke you in your Pokemon. <laughs> I want to poke your mind. <laughs> 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 <Are> you... No, <laughs> what was we've, what was we've gone into hysterical
1: giggling territory. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even high. At least I'm not.
0: Like of oxygen to the brain.